You're listening to the Cyberwire Network, powered by N2K. And now, a message from Cyberbit. Mastering cybersecurity is like mastering a sport. You build muscle memory through rigorous practice. Then you train as a team to foster cohesion while operating under pressure. Like athletes, cybersecurity professionals thrive on hands-on simulation. But traditional courses, certifications, and open-source labs won't build you a winning team. You need Cyberbit. Cyberbit offers a hyper-realistic simulation environment for your SOC, IR, and C-suite to refine your skills. All using the market-leading SIMs, EDRs, firewalls, and WAFs they use every day. Cyberbit is offering CyberWire listeners a free live fire exercise. Sign up your team now at cyberbit.com slash cyberwire. Zoom user security appears to have been sacrificed on the altar of user experience. The fileless Astaroth Trojan is again in circulation, mostly for now in Brazil. Torrents are distributing the GoBot2 backdoor. The UK's Information Commissioner's Office clobbers British Airways with a record fine under GDPR. Croatian government offices are spearfished. Iran says it's now got an attack-proof comm system. And NSA's IG reports. From the CyberWire studios at Data Tribe, I'm Dave Bittner with your CyberWire summary for Tuesday, July 9th, 2019. Those of you who use the popular Zoom video conferencing tool on your Macs should be aware that a serious vulnerability has been reported. Security researcher Jonathan Lightshoe reports that the flaw allows any website to forcibly join a user to a call, complete with camera access. So you could be pulled into a call and watched while you're simply minding your own business. You may not be interested in the call, but the call is interested in you. The problem amounts to susceptibility to drive-bys. There have been other issues with Zoom. Some versions of it could, for example, induce a denial-of-service condition in an affected Mac by repeatedly joining a user to an invalid call. And should you have uninstalled Zoom, the conferencing tool will have left behind a reinstallation feature that could reinstall the Zoom client without any user action on your part beyond visiting a web page. Zoom has a reputation for convenience, and it's pushed back in its own defense by maintaining that the vulnerability is really more of a feature, one that enables users to get beyond an otherwise cumbersome and click-heavy experience when they're joining a call. If you do use Zoom on a Mac, and if you're not interested in the possibility of being on unwanted display, go to the Zoom preferences and select Turn off my video when joining a meeting. That will at least keep you off camera. Microsoft warns that a campaign using the fileless Astaroth information-stealing Trojan is underway. Astaroth lives off the land, which can render detection difficult. The tools the campaign uses would typically be whitelisted, and so their mere employment wouldn't necessarily trigger any alerts that were simply looking for known malware and known file signatures. On the other hand, as Bleeping Computer quotes Microsoft, They do use those tools in anomalous ways, and that can become fairly obvious to systems on the lookout for suspect behavior. Most of the current Astaroth campaign victims, some 95% in fact, are located in Brazil, 
but that shouldn't move people elsewhere in the world toward a false sense of security. Security company ESET has identified a campaign using torrents to distribute the familiar commodity GoBot2 backdoor. ESET calls this particular version GoBot KR. The bait, in this case, as is appropriate to a torrent-based campaign, consists of movies and television shows. In this case, they're Korean movies and TV. Most of the victims have been in South Korea. GoBot KR, a relatively straightforward bit of badness, does the sorts of things most botnets do. It enables misuse of the affected device, it allows the botnet to be controlled and extended, and it seeks to evade detection by the victim. GoBot KR is well suited to conducting distributed denial-of-service attacks. ESET notes its ability to seed arbitrary files using BitTorrent and uTorrent. If you think you're affected, you can scan for the malware and remove it if it's found. But here's some better, more general advice. Don't download torrents from pirate sites. It's not just about GoBot 2. Lots of other malicious code is distributed that way. In the most recent version of their State of the Internet report, Akamai took a closer look at the online gaming community and the security issues they face. Akamai's Martin McKay is one of the report's authors. We chose gaming because we knew when it comes to credential abuse, gaming is a huge target. And as we dug into it, we found out that it was an even bigger target than we thought. Even though the number of gaming targets is relatively low compared to all of the rest of the types of industries that we see, the amount of traffic flowing to them was over 20% of all of the attacks that we see. One of the key findings is overall SQL injection attacks are increasing greatly. They used to be 45 to 55%, usually closer to the 45. With this report, overall SQL injection has risen to 65% of all of the attacks we see. That's not gaming. We went to look at that a little bit later, but that is a huge increase over the last 12 months. And a lot of that, unluckily, seems to be coming from Russia. And I, I don't mean a lot of a lot of the growth seems to be coming out of systems in Russia. And that one was very surprising to us. We started looking into the gaming and where in credential abuse, the targets and the source of attacks seems to come from and to the U.S. For gaming, it was actually, again, Russia that a large part of the, of the attacks are coming from. I can imagine that perhaps some gamers don't apply the same level of security or scrutiny to their gaming accounts that they would to, say, their banking credentials. You would think that, but actually, when you look at what the gaming companies are saying themselves, their push into two-factor authentication, their pushes into educating their users, you realize that's not necessarily the case. There are hmm. some users out there who I would suppose actually pay more attention to their gaming credentials than they do their banking credentials. And the whole reason we're seeing that move into gaming is because it's a lucrative market. There is value to all of the skins, all of the devices you can buy for your characters. Those have value. It's easy to go and say to the FBI or to your local law enforcement, hey, somebody cracked into my bank account and here's how much they stole. Here's how much it was I lost and can you go investigate? If you go and say somebody broke into my Minecraft account and took it over and sold it, it's a lot harder to explain to a police officer, a law enforcement officer, that that has value. What are your recommendations? What are the take-homes from this report? You know, when it comes to protecting accounts, 
Two-factor authentication is going to be the single biggest thing folks can do. Um, if your game enable, allows it, do it. If your bank account allows it, do it. The second I would say is use a password vault, use a notepad, use some form of recording your passwords and making sure your passwords are unique per account. Between those two things, that can make such a huge dent in credential abuse. That's what I would say for the consumer. Follow mm -hmm. the instructions that your games are giving you to protect your accounts. But for businesses, and this is outside of gaming, this is everywhere, your APIs are under attack. Your APIs have people constantly trying to get into them. Be aware of that. Take some measures to make sure that you're actually monitoring that. Because in a lot of cases, organizations aren't paying the same amount of attention to that API traffic that they are to the web traffic. And if you're popped on the API, it's just as bad as being popped on your website. You need to be aware that it's happening, that that's where one of the places bad guys are moving to. That's Martin McKay from Akamai. The fine the UK's Information Commissioner's Office levied against British Airways for a September data breach is confirmed to be £183 million. That's roughly $229 million, far exceeding the ICO's previous record of half a million pounds, Forbes observes. High as it is, the fine is shy of the 4% of annual turnover the ICO could have taken. In British Airways' case, 4% would have amounted to £500 million. Another way of ballparking the fine is to notice, as Securonics did for one, that the ICO is costing British Airways about what they'd pay for two airliners. The airline, which points out that it disclosed the breach within a day of discovery and has since found no sign of large-scale criminal exploitation, intends to appeal. We received a note from Alyeg Koleskanov, who heads up Securonics Threat Research Lab, he points out that British Airways was one of many businesses hit by the Magecart operators. As he puts it, quote, The malicious threat actors have been continuing the attacks following the BA breach at even larger scale, infiltrating over 2,000 e-commerce businesses this year alone. End quote. The ICO apparently intends the penalty as a deterrent. Any site that handles personal information should take careful note. As Kolesnikov wrote, quote, this should send a clear signal that organizations have a responsibility for protecting personal data and the need to make cybersecurity a business imperative. Quote. Croatian authorities have revealed that earlier this year an unknown threat actor infected government organizations with a malicious payload called Silent Trinity, assembled largely from off-the-shelf components readily found in various corners of the Internet. Silent Trinity as a whole was a distinctive, never-before-seen piece of malware. The attackers approached their victims by spear phishing. The fish bait consisted of bogus delivery notifications, some of them posing as the Croatian Postal Service, others presenting themselves as various retail services. Who's behind the campaign is unknown, but they appear to be using some of the same infrastructure the Russian organs have employed against Ukrainian targets. Iran apparently moved to action, or at least proclamation, by the cyber attack the U.S. is said to have executed against Tehran's intelligence and missile units, has announced the fielding of a new military command and control system. The commander of the Islamic Revolutionary Guard Corps says they've fielded the domestically developed Seper 110, a military communication system designed to be protection against cyber and other modes of electronic attack, as any such system can be. 
Whether the Saper 110 represents a real capability, a misfire, an aspiration, or simply strategic deception remains to be seen. Finally, the Inspector General's Office at the U.S. National Security Agency has rendered its annual report to Congress. The report finds no serious or flagrant problems or abuses, but it does list a number of issues it judges significant. That is to say, Fort Meade struggles with many of the same cybersecurity issues that concern other government agencies, and indeed non-governmental enterprises as well, things like compliance, continuity planning, and so forth. Every day, your IAM tech debt grows. Your multi-generational services struggle to work together. Building an identity fabric can fix this. It makes all your identity tooling stronger and allows you to connect any app to any service you want to use with zero coding, zero maintenance, and zero app downtime. Strata's identity orchestration platform separates the identity logic from your applications so you can optimize existing IAM tools and manage them in a single control plane. Now, every vendor, standard, and architecture work together. In short, building your identity fabric means you can secure your non-standard apps, keep your complex access policies, retire outdated IDPs, and modernize in record time. So build your fabric with Strata Identity and get rid of tech debt for good. Visit strata.io slash cyberwire, share your identity priorities, and receive a pair of AirPods Pro. Offer valid for organizations over 5,000 employees. Connect today at strata.io slash cyberwire. The IT world used to be simpler. You only had to secure and manage environments that you controlled. Then came new technologies and new ways to work. Now, employees, apps, and networks are everywhere. This means poor visibility, security gaps, and added risk. That's why Cloudflare created the first-ever connectivity cloud. Visit cloudflare.com to protect your business everywhere you do business. And joining me once again is Joe Kerrigan. He's from the Johns Hopkins University Information Security Institute and also my co-host over on the Hacking Humans podcast. Joe, it's great to have you back. It's good to be back, Dave. Uh, We got some news uh, in the past few days here about uh, a major manufacturer of, uh, I guess, primarily consumer devices. Yes, Dealing. And um, they have, uh, I guess they've made an agreement with the FTC. What's going on here? They have. This starts from uh, an FTC action with a, it started with a 2017 complaint specifically mentioning D-Link routers and IP cameras. And the FTC, which is the Federal Trade Commission, pointed out that there were hard-coded login credentials for the IP cameras. Hmm. Right? Okay. Which is bad. Very uh, bad. That means that everybody knows what they are, and they're, they're, they're the same for all the cameras. Mm-hmm. And they don't change. And they don't change. Right. And storage of mobile app credentials in clear text. So if I'm using the mobile app, the, the storage of the credentials are happening on my phone in clear text. So the mobile app to, I guess, control these devices. Right. Yeah. Yeah. Okay. Clear text. Another, another bad thing. These are bad. Yeah. Right? So as part of the settlement, D-Link will implement a new security plan. Uh, they'll have threat modeling and vulnerability testing before releasing a product, <laughs> <laughs> which they should already have, right? But they don't. Uh, yeah. and, and they're going to move in the more secure direction. That's, that's good. 
I'm, I'm happy with with hearing this information. Mm-hmm. Uh, additionally, the company will monitor existing systems for security flaws. They'll start pushing automatic firmware updates, which is good, right? A lot of these IoT vendors are, are not going to be able to do that. There are some that you're just never going to get to be updated because the companies may not exist anymore because they're cheap and just manufactured on the fly. Right. Uh, they're going to create a bug bounty program as well, oh. uh, a vulnerability reporting system for security researchers, which is something that every company out there who produces a product should do, but very, very, very few of them do. This is one of the things that you work on at Correct. Johns Hopkins, right? Correct. I am, I am actually the Information Security Institute's Vulnerability Disclosure Coordinator. Mm-hmm. So when some of our students or our faculty or uh, staff find a, a vulnerability, it's my job to reach out to the company or to the organization to disclose that vulnerability. And your experience is this is not an easy job. It is almost <laughs> never an easy job right. to do. Right. Uh, it's it's very easy with Apple, so much so that when when uh, when people find vulnerabilities in Apple, they don't even work through me. They just contact Apple directly. Hmm. Yeah. Uh, I'll say that Apple does a very good job with this. Yeah, not everyone does. Not though. everyone does. I've had people I've tried to disclose vulnerabilities to who didn't react until someone from uh, Bloomberg contacted them. And that got the attention of the vice president of communications. Mm. Of that company. <laughs> so, yeah. Now, oh, now the media is looking. Let's and and that's really the only way to get these companies to do it. Companies should be actually in this in the government regulation as well as we're seeing here. Uh, yeah. But you know, these companies really should be proactive in this. Uh, they, they should. Hey, have you found a security vulnerability? We want to know about it. Right. And the counterproductive knee-jerk reaction is. Well, don't disclose it or we'll sue you. Mm-hmm. That is not helpful at all. It, it, I guess it's a shame that it got to this point, too, that you have to have a government action right. to get this sort of positive change. Yeah, well, all these things, the reason, Dave, is all these things have costs, right? Yeah. Um, and the, the motivation is not, to, is, is not to produce a vulnerable product, but it's actually to produce the product cheaply and effectively, mm-hmm. not necessarily securely. So I guess the only way to change the economic paradigm here is to actually impose costs and sanctions. Yeah, you know, mm-hmm. from yeah. The, from a government standpoint. And I'm not one who's big into government regulation. Yeah, personally, um, but I don't know what else you can do here. Well, and I'm thinking of that consumer, you know, st- standing there at their local electronics shop, looking right. at a a shelf full of routers. They mm-hmm. know they need a new router. Or they want to buy a security cam or something like that, and doesn't seem like security is put on the box as a differentiating factor yeah. very often. No, it is not. It's, it's it, all the features that come with it, all right. the cool things it can do. And it seems like, I don't know, are we heading into an era where security can be a feature right. that people want? Well, hopefully, because, uh, as you said, the consumer is not really demanding the security built into the product, mm-hmm. right? They're just going out and buying the cool features. And the cheap one. And the cheap one, exactly. Yeah. So I think two things need to happen. One... Consumers need to step up and say, I, I don't want a product that's not as secure, and I'm willing to pay more for a product that is, mm-hmm. um, because I understand that has a cost associated with it. Right. And the other thing is that, that, that these companies need to just step up and say, we need to produce a more secure product. Yeah, and I guess if they don't, then that's when the folks like the FTC right. step in uh, and, step in. and uh, make the, get, get their attention. Yeah, but the FTC is never going to penalize a company, a foreign company, produces a bunch of insecure products, and then closes. 
Right? Mm, it's mm-hmm. never going to happen that way. Mm-hmm. Well, uh, I, I suppose it's good news uh, that uh, change will news. happen here. Yeah, and other companies are hopefully taking notice of this. You know, they don't want the government coming in and telling them you're going to do this. They're just going to say, you know what, we're going to go ahead and take this proactive step now. Right. I hope because look what happened to D-Link. Right. We don't exactly. want that to happen to us. You do not want that to happen. Yeah. All right, Joe Kerrigan. Thanks for joining us. It's my pleasure, Dave. Are lengthy security reviews pulling attention away from your security program? With the largest network of trust centers, Vanta can help you streamline security reviews to win customer trust, save time, and close deals fast. Proactively demonstrate security by showcasing key resources like your SOC 2 or ISO 27001 and provide real-time evidence for passing controls. And when a security questionnaire is required, Vanta takes the first pass for you. Visit vanta.com slash cyber to take a self-serve tour. That's vanta.com slash cyber. And that's the Cyberwire. For links to all of today's stories, check out our daily briefing at thecyberwire.com. And for professionals and cybersecurity leaders who want to stay abreast of this rapidly evolving field, sign up for CyberWire Pro. It'll save you time and keep you informed. Listen for us on your Alexa smart speaker, too. The CyberWire podcast is proudly produced in Maryland out of the startup studios of Data Tribe, where they're co-building the next generation of cybersecurity teams and technologies. Our amazing CyberWire team is Elliot Peltzman, Peru Prakash, Stefan Vaziri, Kelsey Bond, Tim Nodar, Joe Kerrigan, Carol Terrio, Ben Yellen, Nick Vilecki, Gina Johnson, Bennett Moe, Chris Russell, John Petrick, Jennifer Iben, Rick Howard, Peter Kilpie, and I'm Dave Bittner. Thanks for listening. We'll see you back here tomorrow. And now, a word from our sponsor, Zscaler, the leader in cloud security. Cyber attackers are using AI in creative ways to compromise users and breach organizations. In a security landscape where you must fight AI with AI, the best AI protection comes from having the best data. Zscaler has extended its zero-trust architecture with powerful AI engines that are trained and tuned by 500 trillion daily signals. Learn more about Zscaler Zero Trust plus AI to prevent ransomware and AI attacks. Experience your world secured. Visit zscaler.com slash zero trust AI.